welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome. Welcome to the final episode in the series on understanding your financial statements. This one's a little bit different in that this is about notional accounts. And these are accounts that don't actually exist on your financial statements. So it's a little bit different than the last few. So what are notional accounts? Again, these are accounts that don't exist in your financial statements. They have to be tracked by your accounts separately and reported to CRA. Some of them, not all of them yet, but they're all being reported now. And the reason for not all of them yet is because some of them are a little bit new, but we'll get to that later. So a couple of foundational things to tackle first. First is corporate tax rates. And the second is the concept of integration. Corporate tax rates. On the first $500,000 of income, federally, you will pay 9% as a small business on active business income. That is income earned when basically operating your business and earning income from business activities, not from investing. Different provinces have different amounts that they add on top of that, anywhere from zero to 4%, depending on what province. And the, some provinces like Saskatchewan and the Yukon, and one province, Saskatchewan, will actually apply that 0% rate up to 600000 But for all intents and purposes, the half a million dollar mark represents where a small business's income is. Anything beyond that, any income earned beyond that gets taxed at what is known as the general rate. And the general rate is 15% federal plus a percentage added provincially. And no, there's no zeros here, as low as 8% in Alberta and as high as 16% in PEI. I'm going to use the Ontario rate, which basically works out to about 12.2% for small business. and about 26.5% for any amount over 500,000. That's just for illustrative purposes going forward. Now that's for active business income. For passive business income or investment income, you basically pay a higher rate. And this is a big misnomer. People seem to think that when you invest within a corporation, you can save tax. Well, that's not true. So it's not true for two reasons. First, the investment income tax that's charged by the federal government is 38.7%. And on top of it, the provincial rates, so somewhere between 8 to 16%. And you get some pretty big numbers. Ontario, again, going back to my home province as an example, it's about 50.05% roughly. So bottom line is you earn a dollar of interest, you pay 50 cents on the dollar on that in tax on that. You're in capital gains, about 26%, and dividends are somewhere in between. Now, going back to 2018, there is a tax change that happened that basically will change your tax rates corporately for passive income. Should your total passive income or what's known as aggregate investment income exceed $50,000 and it will increase, you'll pay, you'll pay an increased rate up until about $150,000, which case go back to normal. So what is this? What am I talking about? So basically the way they look at it is the $500,000 is a business limit or exemption. So that first $500,000, you get to pay the lower rate. But if you earn more than $50,000 in investment income, they start taking back the amount of, they start reducing the $500,000 at a rate of $5 for every $1 earned in passive income. So what does that mean? If you earn, for example, $100,000 in passive income, the first $50,000 is basically eliminated and not counted. The next $50,000 would result in a reduction of your business limit of by $250,000. So instead of getting $500,000, taxed at the lower rate, you get 250,000 taxed at the lower rate. So this is interesting because depending on the province you're in, some provinces decided to fall suit with this law, others did not. But reality is, is that if you earn a fully taxable aggregate investment dollar over 50%, over 50,000, the tax you pay on that at 50% or whatever it is in your province, plus the 
clawback of the exemption of the 500,000 results in you paying a marginal rate of tax corporately of somewhere between, depending on the province, 70 to 120%. It's enormous. Yes. Now, why is this? It's because that extra dollar took back $5 that were being taxed at the lower rate, which are now being taxed at the higher rate. So that $1 resulted in the 50 cent tax gone. And then let's just say it's at hundred <laughs> percent. Let's just, let's just say it's 20. I'm going to use the 26% example versus 12.5, 12.2. That is a 14%. No, it's a 13% difference. My apologies. Times five. So 13 times five, 13 times five is 65 plus 50. You can see how you get over hundred. So is this fair? Well, frankly, it is a big tax rate, but really it's temporary. And I'll get to how it's temporary. But before we get to how it's temporary, which is the principle of um, of integration, let's talk first and foremost about the income that's being measured here. So the investment income, it's known as aggregate investment income. So this consists of, total, of taxable capital gains minus investment losses plus income from properties such as interest, rents, and royalties. So basically they calculate that total amount. And anything beyond 50,000 is what what that reduction applies to. So now, why did I say this is not as bad as it seems? Well, don't get me wrong. I hate the idea of one extra dollar resulting in more than a dollar disappearing from your tax return. But this is because of the principle of integration. This is a cornerstone of taxation in Canada when it comes to corporations. So how does it work? Basically, the principle says that whether you earn a dollar corporately or personally, the total combined tax bill should be the same. Now, how does that work? Well, it works because essentially while you're taxed corporately, when you pay out the equivalent amount of dollars to yourself personally as a shareholder, then what happens is, is that it basically, there's some credits that happen to the corp, get back to the corporation potentially, and you pay a dividend interest rate of tax, a dividend rate of tax. So that dividend tax plus the net dollars paid by the corporation is the same thing as if you had earned that investment income personally. The same thing applies when people say, well, I can pay less tax by paying myself dividends instead of income. Well, no, that's not true because dividends are after-tax corporate income. So tax was paid, then money gets paid out to the individual and the individual pays less tax on that versus income where income is paid, it's deductible to corporation, fully taxable to the individual. So the reality is, is that there is no real advantage here. There might be some small differences uh, and small, semi-low rounding error differences because it's hard to line up all the provinces, but in general, you are indifferent to earning money in a corporation than you are personally. If it, once it hits your once it hits your personal hands, that is. So how do they accomplish this, right? Because there's a lot of different, you know, I just mentioned two or to three different tax rates. So this is where the notional accounts come in, at least three of the notional accounts. The fourth one is a bit different. So the first notional account we're going to talk about is the general rate income pool or GRIP. So what does this do? So you may know you may realize that there's actually two different tax rates payable on dividends in Canada. Well, three really, depending on where they came from. Why I say three really is that foreign dividends are not considered eligible for dividend tax credits. So essentially they are basically taxed as income. But when it comes to Canadian source dividends, there's eligible dividends and non-eligible dividends. Eligible dividends pay a lower tax rate than non-eligible dividends. And the key difference is, is that non-eligible dividends are dividends paid out from a private corporation who paid the small business tax rate, the lower tax rate corporately. So follow the bouncing ball on this. This makes sense. So if I pay a lower tax rate corporately and then receive the remaining amount as a dividend, well, I'd have to pay more in order for it to equal the same thing as me earning it personally. The other one, the eligible dividend, is basically our dividends that are paid from after-tax income that paid the general rate, that paid the higher of the two. So you follow, right? So 
if I pay a higher rate corporately, I pay a lower rate personally. If I pay a lower rate corporately, I pay a higher rate personally. It all nets out to the same thing, roughly. So the general rate income pool is basically a calculation of the money that you pay tax on or the income that you pay tax on at the general rate. So anything that wasn't the small business rate. And that is the pool of money that you can distribute as an eligible dividend. Eligible dividends are also earned from Canadian control or from Canadian public corporations. But point is, is grip is, hey, I paid the higher rate. I get that this money qualifies for that. And when I pay that money personally, I will now basically pay the lower eligible dividend rate. Now, remember what I said, that very, very high tax rate on investment income in because of the cor- in the corporation wasn't that bad? Well, the reason why I say it wasn't that bad is because what happens is, is that if your exemption is lowered from 500000 or small business amount is lowered from 500000 to something smaller, well, that means you're paying tax at the grip rate, which means that, or the general rate, which means that you qualify for more grip. And by the time you pay that all out, it equals the same thing. So all that's happening really with that aggregate investment income issue is that you're paying a higher amount temporarily. So the deferral you're getting is smaller. So that's grip. The next one is the probably the easiest under the easiest to understand is the capital dividend account. The capital dividend account is basically the notional account where all monies that were considered non-taxable that flow into a business flows into. So what goes in here? Well, 50% of capital gains are taxable. The other 50% is not. That creates a CDA credit. And the big one is insurance. Any insurance proceeds from the death of an individual above and beyond the adjusted cost basis are considered a gain. So they flow into the CDA. Now, why does the CDA matter? Because the CDA is an amount that the individual can draw tax-free from the corporation. You heard me right. If you have $100,000 or $200,000 sitting in a CDA account, capital dividend account, you can pay a capital dividend out tax-free. Now, when I say you can pay a capital dividend account tax-free, keep in mind that an accountant has to file an election form for this within a certain amount of time. They will charge you anywhere from a couple hundred bucks to a couple thousand dollars. Frankly, this is a simple form. It should not cost more than a couple hundred dollars. Your accountant could call me to argue with me all he wants or she wants. Your accountant called to argue with me all they want, but it's a simple, simple form. So why would the government allow you to take money tax-free out of your corporation? Well, I'll leave insurance aside for a second. Let's look at investments, capital gains. Well, half of it's tax-free. So half of it basically is tax-free corporately and tax-free personally. So there's no real difference there. The other half, basically, we're going to get to that in a second, but it's going to result in you paying the same tax that you would otherwise. So if you take a capital gain and pay 100% of the proceeds out, then you will end up paying at most 26%, just like you would corporately. Insurance is different. Insurance is different because, well, the CDA is a mechanism for flowing out the gains tax-free to the shareholders. And this is a gain, right? I mean, if I put more money into an insurance policy than I needed to to basically cover off the basic cost of insurance, then it is a gain. And frankly, this this flow-through allows for any amount of estate planning that allows for businesses to pass through generations or farms to pass through generations. So frankly, this is something that is a huge, valuable planning tool in the insurance space. So next, we come on to the more complicated one, and that's the refundable dividend tax on hand amount. And here's the thing. There used to be one of these, and now there are two. So it is what's known as eligible and non-eligible RDTOH. So basically, what is this? So RDTOH, or first, we'll start off with refundable dividend tax on hand. So in principle, very simple. The way it works is if I pay out a dividend as a corporate, as a, as a business owner, and there's money available in this, or there's an amount available in this RDTOH account, I will receive a refund on some of my corporate taxes. So why are we paying refunds to corporations? 
Well, it's simple, because if we don't pay this refund to the corporation, then by the time you add the tax paid corporately to the tax paid personally, it's going to exceed the tax you would have paid if you had just earned it personally. So you're not going to no longer, you're no longer going to be integrated. You're no longer going to be equal. So the, the purpose of RDTOH, the government's extracting more income from you corporately now than they would if you paid to yourself personally. If you pay it to yourself personally, then they refund you the difference. So how does this work or what does this look like? So let's look at the different types. So the first type is the eligible RDTOH. How does this work? Basically, it is an amount equal to the total of the eligible dividends you received. So this is accounting for dividends you received that paid the lower tax rate. And non-eligible, which is made up of a percentage of the income you received that was taxable, that was received due to investment purposes. So taxable portion of capital gains, non-eligible dividends, and interest, of course. Add those all, and any rents, for example. Add those all together and get your RDTOH. Now, here's how this works. So if I pay out a dividend, then I would receive back between 30.67 or 38.33 cents on the dollar in order to basically equalize. So what does that look like? I'll use the 38 and this is specifically, I'll use the 30.7. This is specifically on just general. This is the non-eligible RDTOH. So if I paid out $1,000 in dividends, the company received back $306.70. Again, why? Because when you do the math on what the corporation paid initially in taxes on that income, subtract the refund, and then add the personal tax paid, it equals the same thing as if that person had earned that form of income personally. Therefore, there is no advantage. Again, this integrate integration is all about creating no advantage to having something corporately versus personal. So those are the big notionals, GRIP, CDA, and RDTOH. gets complicated, but here's the key. You should understand what these balances look like. Why? Because first off, CDA especially allows you to take money out of the corporation tax-free by all means, go right ahead. GRIP and RDTOH allows you to take money out at a tax preference because you've already paid some of the tax and get some tax refund, at least on the RDTOH side. So why would you, or when do you use those? General rule is it depends on your income, right? If you're going to pay less tax total by taking out a dividend, than you would by leaving it in the corporation, then you're better off doing that. Now, what, when would this happen? Why would this happen, right? I just said you should be the same. Well, you should be the same, but Keep in mind, I'll use interest as an example. So let's say you earn $10,000 in interest. Half of it's gone off the bat, 50%. Now, let's say your marginal tax rate is only 33% personally. Well, now you're technically worse off by the difference. So you're better off taking $10,000 out of the company, paying it as a dividend, getting the refund back, and then paying the personal tax. Because what will happen is, is that you'll end up paying less net tax than the 50%. So that's when it makes sense. It totally makes sense when the when your income is at a level that the, that the net tax paid in that given year is basically less than what you would pay for leaving the money in. So bottom line is there's no deferral benefit if your income's too low. If, there, if your income's high enough and there is a deferral benefit, then you leave it alone and you take it out when your income's lower. So that's those are the big ones. The other one, which is newer, which most people are less aware of, is something called safe income. So safe income is basically the cumulative after-tax profits of your corporation from an, from a tax standpoint, not from an accounting standpoint. What I mean by that is that tax law and accounting law don't always, and accounting rules don't always match up. There's the generally accepted practices that basically are used in accounting to record 
the way operations of your business. But sometimes there's a difference between what the government considers profit and what your accounting considers profit. So what happens is, is that there's sometimes a differential. Safe income is the cumulative lifetime gains or lifetime after-tax income that you received in your corporation from a tax standpoint, minus any dividends paid. Why does this number matter? This number matters if you have a corporate structure in place. If you have two corporate, one corporation owning another, and you want to transfer money between these corporations. Well, if you transfer them, you can transfer by way of an intercorporate dividend. So if I want to move $100,000 from company A to company B for credit proofing or whatever reason, I can do that so long as I have safe income of at least $100,000. So two things happen here. A, if I have safe income, it transfers over and the first company gets the RDTOH, the second company pays the equivalent of the RDTOH back. So what we're doing is we're flowing the credit through. So essentially, but when you net it out, effectively, the total transaction was net zero in terms of tax. However, if you have, if in this example where you did the $100,000 in uh, as a, in a corporate dividend, but you only have $80,000 of safe income, it's a $20,000 gap, that triggers a capital gain. Why? Because you just distributed more capital out of the business than your business has made, technically, from a tax standpoint. So that's a gain. So safe income is a very important number in knowing how you can move money around your corporate, your corporate structure. Now, here's the downside. Safe income has only been something they've been making us use for probably about 10 years, if that. So there's plenty of companies out there who've never had this calculated. Companies have been around for 20, 30, 40 years. So honestly, I have more than one case right now where the accounts are taking quite a while, because rightly so, to go back over every tax filing they possibly can to calculate the safe income, because they do not want to adversely trigger a capital gain. So that's the summary. It got a little bit deep. It got a little bit complicated, I know. But those are the notional accounts that you as a business owner should be aware of, or at least have some understanding of so that you can speak to your accountant knowingly. The general rate income pool, which is the amount of money that you paid, the after-tax amount left over after you paid the general rate, which is the not small business rate, but the rate above $500,000 first. That is eligible to be paid as eligible dividends, which will pay a lower tax rate. Combined though, it's the same thing as if you earned that money person. The CDA, capital dividend account, whatever is in there can be paid out tax-free. Again, filing has to happen first. Refundable dividend tax on hand in the two different types. This tells you how much money the company can get back from a dividend paid out. Again, why are they doing this? In order to make sure that integration holds, that you are not better off or worse off earning corporately than personally. And safe income, the amount that you can transfer between corporations. And we did cover the concept of aggregate investment income. So this was a deep one. You probably want to listen to it more than once. You probably want to look up some of this stuff. There's some good resources online. Be cautious of any resource that predates, I believe it was 2018, because these rules all changed a little bit in 2018. So summing it up in Cole's notes one last time, CDA is your best friend, tax-free money of the corp. RDTOH, if you're going to save money or pay less tax by taking the dividend that year versus leaving in the corp, makes sense. Grip, basically, well, that's what dictates your ability to take one of those two types of dividends, safe income dictates the ability to transfer money between corporations. Aggregate investment income, basically the total income, investment income you make in a corporation that can take back and reduce your eligibility for the small business tax rate. Doesn't mean you shouldn't invest in the corporation, it just means you gotta be wise about it. And frankly, again, it's just a reduction in the deferral. So like I said, it was deep, you're gonna need some help. Understand the basic concepts. Don't be intimidated. This all becomes second nature over time. If you enjoyed this podcast, as always, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you your podcast. Until next time, take care. 
This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.